Thank you, Sahil, for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time. You are the founder and CEO of Gumroad and a new company as well called Flexile. Uh, you also wrote a book called The Minimalist Entrepreneur, which I enjoyed a lot recently. Uh, and on the side, you're investing in early stage startups through uh, primarily a rolling fund named after yourself with AngelList. Uh, so I've been looking forward to this conversation. I think we've got a lot of interests in common. And in particular, you know, I'm interested in rolling funds, but also uh, how you're sort of taking you know how organizations are run and uh, rethinking it from first principles for this new world this digital world uh you know as of late this ai filled world and uh thinking you know how can we do things a little bit differently um so looking forward to digging into all of that but uh before we get started i think the best place to start would be sort of uh telling your story and uh for those who don't know you just sort of uh starting as early as you're willing to start and uh talking about some of the decisions you've made to get to where you are today Sure. So I was born in, in New York. Uh, my parents grew up in India, uh, in Bombay, moved to the U.S. for their master's degrees. Uh, I was born in Long Island. Uh, my parents ended up leaving the U.S., so I primarily grew up in Singapore. And when I graduated high school, I went to USC for college. When I was in middle school and high school, I started learning how to code uh, I forget exactly like really even what got me into it, um, but I was like playing video games and I wanted to have like, I don't know, a website for my clan or something like that. But I started, you know, you learn about forums and PayPal and the fact that you could do freelance work on the internet for five bucks an hour. And so I started doing that. Uh, the iOS, uh, you know, the app store came out in 2009 when I was a sophomore, I think in high school. So I got into that. So anyway, I, I sort of knew pretty early that I wanted to like, this thing, you know, called app development now, I guess, was something I, I, I like to do. I was good at. I did for fun on the weekends. And at that point, I didn't really, uh, I mean, I, I kind of maybe was aware, like I was starting to become aware of this like thing called like Y Combinator and venture capital. Um, and so I kind of knew I wanted to be in, in California. Uh, that's where like the people I, you know, like when I would follow people on Twitter, <laughs> like half of them were living in, you know, in the Bay Area. And so I was like, okay, yeah, this seems to be like where I, I, need, I need to go for this. Uh, and so I, I went to California, I went to USC, that was the, kind of the closest college I got accepted into, uh, went there for a semester before I dropped out to get a job at Pinterest where I was their uh, second employee. I uh, primarily designed and built uh, Pinterest for iPhone. Uh, I did some other stuff there too, but that was kind of the big the big thing. Uh, and then I, one, one uh, weekend, uh, one Friday night, I, was, uh, I had designed this icon for this uh, Mac app that I wanted to sell uh, or build and then sell. Uh, and I never actually built the Mac app, but I designed this icon for it, which is this like photorealistic pencil icon. And I wanted to sell that pencil icon to my audience on Twitter because uh, I had spent four hours making this pencil icon. And I thought maybe it would be valuable to people to learn this sort of set of skills, save, save them some time. Maybe that would be worth like a dollar. And, uh, you know, there was no real easy way for me to do that uh, at that point. And so that's why I built Gumroad, built Gumroad that weekend, launched it Monday morning, uh, kind of went, you know, kind of semi-viral uh, front page of Hack News on Monday. Um, and, but I didn't really uh, go full-time on it until maybe like six or so months later when I, I wanted to start a company. Investors kept asking me if I wanted to start a company. It tends to happen if you're in the Bay Area. And uh, and so I did. I ended up raising a seed round, $1.1 million from Max Option and a bunch of other people. And then a seven-ish million dollar Series A from Kleiner Perkins. And then in 2015, we failed to raise our Series B. So we downsized the company, went down to just me 
went remote. I ended up leaving San Francisco, moving to Utah in 2017, and I've kind of been like remote kind of ever since. Uh, uh, what else? <laughs> I think that kind of gives you a pretty, pretty high level. I think the thing that, yeah, probably the thing that I've done that most people are aware of uh, by volume is probably uh, uh, this viral blog post that I wrote in 2019 that kind of recaps a lot of this uh, called Reflecting on My Failure to Build a Billion Dollar Company. Um, and uh, and now I just kind of am trying to, I've, I feel like that sort of that, like 2015 was sort of the Phoenix moment uh, for, for Gumroad, maybe the, the similar to the 2022 for a lot of startups now. And uh, and so now that it's sort of, I feel like Gumroad is like in the afterlife stage uh, of, of company development where we can actually, like I can kind of, do what I want because I'm sort of in extra time and, uh, and yeah, I'm trying to really just think, uh, think a lot <laughs> about like what that looks like, try not to copy, uh, other people too much. And, uh, and, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, honestly, like it's, uh, it's like not maybe super efficient on my own time, but it's, I really find it fun and rewarding. And I, I think of it a little bit like investing in which like, 99% of the ideas that we try will probably not land, but like once in a while, we'll find something that's like really compelling uh, and, and, and will stick, you know? Um, and that's, I think a lot of how innovation actually happens. So that's anyway, that was kind of long winded, but that's the the summary of who I am, what I do. No, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting story and I appreciate you sharing it. And uh, it's especially sort of interesting and noteworthy. I mean, you're you're pretty young. I think you know I'm in my late twenties. I think we're like roughly the same age, and uh, you just got started on everything so sort of early. By um, you know, not that it's a race again, but like dropping out of USC after a semester, um, you know, <laughs> going going working at Pinterest, and then you know dropping out of that pretty quickly to go and start Gumroad. So like you sort of took a few steps yeah, that I are typically. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And, you know, most, most of the time people, uh, you know, people are, you know, become VCs after their founders and raise like a fund and like all of these, uh, yeah, I sort of joke that I kind of speed ran Silicon Valley. Uh, yeah. You've uh, done the whole life cycle. It feels like in like 10 years, most people have like four year chapters at each of these moments where you're having like one semester chapters. Mm -hmm. But, um, I'm curious going back, you know, we won't spend too much time on the early days, but just because they sort of, uh, probably, helped give you some uh early trajectory or at least changed the course of your life somewhat substantially these couple of decisions earlier on first to leave usc after a semester to work at pinterest and then second to leave pinterest to work full-time on gumroad um having gone through some like similar experience myself dropping out of school and then uh you know quitting my job and stuff like that for me i found that like the second time was much easier than the first because you could look back on the first and see that it sort of worked out reasonably well and you just get that confidence of like do, taking the leap for the second time and also you had the support of investors and things like that sort of begging you to do it but how hard or difficult or not hard were those decisions and like what if you can sort of rewind your perspective a bit all the way back to the those times like what were you thinking about at the time was there any like fear or was it just sort of like you know just going for it yeah i mean i i don't i don't really have fear uh, in like the traditional sense of like, my life is in danger, you know, like anxiety rushing to the brain, adrenaline, all that stuff like that. I, I like, I do, if I'm like, you know, like it's late at night and like someone, uh, you know, shows me a knife or something, 
but it, like anything to do with like startups like this like I, I consider it like just a video game that I play on my laptop right and if you like observe me from like the outside like I'm just like anyone else just like typing away on their laptop right like it's not really visible anything that I'm doing so I've never felt like I, I, I've always felt like everything could go to zero uh, ever since I was like 13, 14 years old. And like, it wouldn't really matter, you know, because like life is cheap. Like it's all I need is like a laptop uh, and like sandals, you know, <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know, like what else do you need? Uh, so I've always felt like you could reset the clock and that allows me to, to, yeah, it kind of allows me to like do things because, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with falling down and starting from scratch. Right. Uh, and so yeah, uh, you know, uh, I mean, USC, I think was, you maybe you could argue was sort of mimetic, like, I, uh, you know, it was kind of the, the default path for like the high school that I that I went to, and it was the path that my parents wanted me to be on. Um, and dropping out was definitely sort of like, was was different. But I think the way that I justified it to myself, uh, and other people was that like, I, the goal of, of like going to college is to get a job, right? Like, <laughs> I think uh, it's expensive. So I would hope that there's sort of like a, a financial component to it. And so if I can get the job like four months in, like what's the point uh, in like the, you know, the other four years, right? And moreover, like what if I don't actually like the job, uh, which uh, it turns out I don't, which is why I didn't do it for very long, right? But like, what if I like, I spent four years learning this set of skills that I don't actually like, what's the point? It just felt kind of wasteful to me. Um, and like, you're only on earth for like so, so long, you know? So like, I don't know, like uh, time is precious. You could say I was maybe like very impatient, uh, you know, like you could say that that's uh, patience is a virtue or something, but uh, impatience is a vice. But I just felt like, yeah, if I if I can sort of skip the, the that that step and similar to, to, you know, leaving Pinterest for Gumroad, it was, you know, once investors started asking me if I wanted money to start a company, I was like, oh, cool. Like, why would I work here for like five years, right? Uh, uh, or four years if I could just go to that next step and so i think of it i mean if you think about like a machine learning algorithm there's like this concept of gradient descent or sort of hill climbing uh which is basically you're kind of like at any point looking for like the steepest slope right but it will it's most likely that the that the sleep the steepest sort of slope from where you are is going to be like the next best place to like reach the bottom right or what or, or whatnot so I kind of think of it like there was this gravity pulling you toward what you should be doing in life, uh, which for me, I think was like, you know, building this software company, um, get becoming, figuring out how to get paid to do what I like doing as a hobby, which was like building, you know, web apps and, and stuff. Um, and once I, you know, once I figured out how to do that, like that's, that's why I still do it today. Right. Like, I think that's, uh, that's probably unlikely to change. And I was just able to get to the floor, like kind of get to that optimization point, like pretty quickly. And actually I would say like, I haven't really even expressed this. Like, I feel like it's still a lesson that I, I think is like unlearned by most people that like, you know, uh, you, you, they're, they're like, they're, I'm not really like, there, there doesn't need to be a next step, right? Like, I'm, it's not like, like my goal is to like do something more incredible next. Uh, and I think that's also been true every step of the way is that even though I have landed at this place, I don't think I was really aware of it. Cause I don't think I, you can be aware of where you want to be. Right. Like in hindsight, it's obvious, uh, but going forward, uh, you know, it's you're sort of just doing that hill climbing, right? You're just maximizing this the slope uh, of the ascent, and so I think that's just what I was doing. I was just trying to maximize at every point, like my learning, the people I get to meet in life. Like you know, I was just optimizing for those things, and like if you kind of do that, 
then you end up, you know, I think you, you have, you have many, many opportunities, I think. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting, like uh, the way that you sort of talk about things and, and how you made these decisions, it was obviously like you can't connect the dots looking forward, but it doesn't seem like you had like any particular large goal. Like you, you mentioned the book, you were sort of like unicorn chasing a little bit when you first started Gumroad, obviously that's changed a bit, but um, you know, there's not like one single thread. It's more so like following your interests. What do you like to do with your time? Things like that, you know, meeting great people, spending time with great people um, and, you know, not following the well-beaten path and trying to be, you know, trying to just do what other people are doing, but just think for yourself and things like that. Um, we're going to jump around, I guess, on on the timeline a little bit, um, just for the sake of, you know, following points rather than like chronologically. But, uh, you know, I think a, an interesting place to go next is like today you've got Gumroad, which is now, you know, a, a fairly established company doing steady growth, fully remote team, fully async. We'll talk about some of that organizational structure and some of the innovation there later. But um, you're doing that. You've also started this new company, Flexile, which um, is sort of bringing that operating system that you've built at Gumroad and helping enable that for other companies or other founders that are interested in creating similar type businesses focused on you know, maximizing profit instead of growth and doing things with a lean team globally, contractors instead of full-time employees, no meetings, things like this. Um, and then, you know, separately from that, you're also doing this early stage investing. Presumably you've got a lot of other stuff that you like to do with your free time. You're painting, you're writing, you're busy. How, how are you spending? Like, you know, can you bring me into sort of like a week, a day in the life of, of you or a week or like how you're just sort of spending your time? It seems like, you know, you're, you're very aware, like life is short. You're sort of impatient for better or worse. How do you, you know, allocate your time throughout the week? Yeah, I mean, honestly, every day is pretty similar. Uh, some people are really uh, zen about how they have no calendar and no alarm and, uh, you know, no schedule. Uh, and I have some of those elements, I think. But I actually really like, like, having the same day <laughs> over and over again. Like, I like my day, you know. Uh, and so I wake up uh, generally pretty early. Uh, about like 6, 6.30, uh, maybe earlier if I wake up naturally, like 5, 5.30. I try to get to inbox zero on everything uh, in bed. And so by the time I'm like at my laptop, which happens like pretty late, normally around 11 a.m., uh, I have only like a few things to do. I can do most of it from my phone. Can I uh, ask just before we just, uh, I'm like weirdly into, uh, you know, like routines and stuff like that, especially people I think are sort of like taking a very independent view on on how to live and stuff like that. So I'm just going to press on this one thing quickly where you started, which is like you you start with your inbox or there's like a few hours that go by in between there that I'm not sure exactly what's going on. But you said like you clear the inbox early. You're doing that from your phone. What, you know, do you think about, you know, maybe starting email, like starting the day with email on my phone is, you know, high stress or something? Does that bother you at all? Or also like, do you think like, you know, maybe this would be better if I did this on my laptop versus my phone, even though it's fast and I can do it on my phone. Like it's better on my laptop. Do you think about any of that stuff? Have you changed any of that stuff? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, this is the conclusion, right. Of like many years, like two decades of like iterating on like what I think is like the right uh, routine, uh, which is why I think it looks so different from what you would, what advice you'd hear on Twitter. Right. They would, or, or, or other, or no, I think it's incredibly healthy actually to like, for email to be basically the first thing that I do. Um, 
I love email. I think it's like, it's like, I, I love it. It's like one of my favorite things in the world to do. Uh, it's not high stress at all. Um, or it's the right kind of stress, you know, like I like doing high stress things. <laughs> well, it's know. also, you know, from personal experience, it's a very easy way to get started. You know, you just grab your phone. Like, even if you could be like more efficient or something on your computer, it's very easy to just like pick up your phone. It naturally sort of like wakes you up. Whereas otherwise, you know, I mean, I, I, like I, a little I, am, I am most efficient on my my phone for sure. Um, and the reason is because I'm like, you can only do so many things on the phone. And so what it ends up doing is you just stop doing things, right? The most efficient you can do is just hire someone to do the job. So like, I, I, I'm able to do all this work for my phone because it only takes me like 20 minutes, <laughs> right? right? I don't, I don't spend, I don't spend like five hours on my phone or anything. I spend, you know, 20 minutes on my phone. Uh, most of it is on like Twitter and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that I would say is maybe more useless. Uh, and I definitely kind of like think that's probably my like my biggest vice is Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of get to inbox zero on all the different services, GitHub, Slack, Notion, uh, Twitter, email. Uh, and then I go to the gym. Uh, and then I, depending if it's really nice and sunny like it is now, I would go for a walk for a while. But otherwise, I would, I would kind of get, uh, I would go to Starbucks or Chick-fil-A, get some food and then I would uh shower and then only then would I like touch my laptop uh and then the laptop at that point everything that I basically couldn't swipe right or left on and do finish on my on my phone I would do on my laptop which takes about 20 minutes to an hour so by noon I'm I'm sort of done with everything ideally um and then from sort of uh noon onward I just do whatever I want. I build stuff, read, go for a walk, listen to an audiobook, uh, go for a drive somewhere. Um, and then I pick up my wife uh, from work at five. I also drop her off before uh, at the gym, uh, before I go to the gym. And then we kind of just hang out and I try not to think about work too much, but fail. <laughs> Uh, what do you what do you end up doing like with, uh, you know, you mentioned a few of the things, but if you think about like the last few days, not to be like not, not to pry too much and we can move on from the routine stuff if you want soon. But uh, I'm curious, like, is there anything sort of that you would recognize as pretty unusual that you do that like you really, really enjoy or really believe in as being like a, a good use of your time on, you know, some of those afternoon days where you're sort of through the have to do and on to the nice to do? Uh, I mean, to be honest, it's just, it's just what, what anyone would consider their free time, right? Like, just like any high school kid, like at 3pm when school's out, and you have like a couple hours before you have to do homework, like, it's just a lot of that, right? So uh, there's nothing in there that I think I do that's like, like, the thing is, like, I've already gone to the gym, I've already, like, I've already met my protein goals, I've, like, I've, I've done every single thing that I need to do, that like, if I do, if I just sit in a chair in the sun for the rest of the day, like it's a very successful day. I'm not looking for anything else, you know? Um, so I don't do it. Like there's no, yeah. I mean, sometimes I have some zoom calls if I'm like hiring some engineers, uh, you know, I'll browse Twitter and like get into some rabbit hole and maybe read some paper. Maybe I'll build, you know, some, some, write some code or write, write a script. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's just completely, uh, completely random. Uh, I would say if I were living in a different city, like if I were living in New York, then I would probably be much more social. I think that's mostly what people do, right? Like once you have uh, financial independence, I would say that that's how most people spend their time. I'm just, that's, that's probably, to be honest, the most unusual thing about me 
is that I am, I have this much flexibility and freedom and free time and I'm not social because most people I knew who are in this position, like born rich or, or whatnot, like they just hang out all the time. <laughs> like they just hang out with their friends or they travel or do tourism stuff or eat Michelin star restaurants or, you know, LARP as VCs or, or whatnot. Right. Um, but the, the, the answer just goes back to like, I, I am who I am. Like, I'm just a, a boring, you know, this, like, I just like building stuff and like, there's, there's nothing else. You know, I have two cats that I play with. I spend a lot of my time like hanging out with them. Uh, I play like one video game a year. Uh, I don't watch any Netflix or HBO or anything like that. Besides like the great British Bake Off. Like I'm just a you know, normal person who just like stumbled upon Gumroad and like, it, you know, is a crazy, crazy thing. Um, and all of the unusual stuff happens just on my phone, you know, like it's just like investing in startups or like it just, but it just doesn't manifest in any physical way, right? Like it has no effect on the body, uh, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's just completely intellectual. Like I could have a hundred billion dollars in my bank account. I could have a hundred million dollars in my bank account. I could have a hundred thousand dollars in my bank account. Roughly like the, the lifestyle is identical. Uh, what's most stimulating, what's most fun is actually like solving hard problems uh, and like learning and thinking. That's what's most sort of intellectually satisfying to me. Uh, so like, yeah, like that, that looks like work to most people, right? <laughs> like most people, that's what they want to turn off and they're trying to like get out of that. Uh, but like, I love, that's like what I, that's what I enjoy the most, you know? Uh, like working 24 seven at Twitter on Twitter 2.0, like that sounds like heaven, you know, to me. Uh, I would do that for free, you know? Um, yeah, but, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, obviously there's a couple of problems that you had to solve to get to this point where you have this, you know, a high quality, high quantity of free time to be able to do whatever you want and, um, you know, pursue your interests and solve problems and I'm read. You know, location independent, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know anyone, honestly, who's like more free than I am. Yeah. So I think it would be interesting to uh, talk to talk a little bit about like how you got to this point, because it was certainly not always like this. I think you spent at least half, half a decade or so like grinding really hard at Gumroad, you know, trying to build a billion dollar company, grow as fast as possible before, um, like you mentioned, sort of getting past that series A towards the series B point. And you were growing a lot, but just like not quite enough to raise around. And you just sort of uh, gotten a new lease in a big office with a bunch of employees and had to sort of figure things out. Um, you know, there's a big blog post on this, so we won't rehash it. Uh, you mentioned that you can go to uh, people listening can go to his website and read that. And I'd read, there's only like four blogs up there. I'd, I'd read them all. Um, and, but after that point, you basically sort of started from scratch, like literally, I think just yourself for a while with Gumroad, like doing the customer support, fixing bugs, things like that. But you sort of ultimately, you know, it wasn't just like you forever. Cause that's, you know, you probably wouldn't have these free afternoons. If it was still that you were able to bring in, you know, part-time people from around the world and figure out a way to build an organization that didn't require any meetings and didn't have any full-time employees and um could still you know not just like survive but like continue to grow and uh, continue to turn a profit and continue to give you this freedom of both time and money through you know profitability and like that could be dependent upon long term um what gave you like the seed of the idea that that was like even possible and did you start very extreme with like okay zero meetings, zero full-time employees, or did some of this progress over time? I'd just love to hear like how you sort of developed this new age organization that you're now sort of uh, productizing through Flexo. 
Yeah, I mean, it was pretty organic, to be honest. I mean, I, I really, uh, it was more that we just needed to save money, which is why we went remote and got rid of the office in 2015 and then let most people go. And I ran everything myself. And when I wasn't really ready to like emotionally and time-wise commit to Gumroad in 2015 and beyond, uh, I just started hiring hourly contractors, went through a bunch until I found some really good folks. Uh, hiring is hard. And yeah, basically I'm just, I'm like, why would I need, like, I don't, I just don't believe in the, co in the concept of like a full-time employee anymore. I just think it's honestly like slavery. Like we'll look back and look and be like, holy shit, I can't believe that was like morally acceptable. Uh, it's, it's really weird to me. Uh, and so, yeah, I just think, uh, I want to, you know, I, I, it sort of evolved naturally and, and, and sort of, you know, it's just sort of the, I guess, like the null hypothesis, right. Of like, well, why would we need a full-time employee? Why would we need a W2 relationship? Like, why is it my problem, uh, to give you healthcare and benefits, uh, instead of like you getting it directly from the state or the government, uh, right. And, or, or, so I just think, it was a sort of a natural evolution of like what I felt like was the the simplest and most efficient way to run Gumroad. Cause the truth is Gumroad is automated. <laughs> so really no one is necessary. Like all of the work that gets done is like R and D just building software. Uh, there's no sort of, you know, operational real cost to it. Uh, it's just people, engineers and customer support people shipping products and designers helping out. Uh, and so I just feel like it's just the, the right way the least wasteful, and therefore the most like uh innovative uh long-term for the economy way to like run run the business um and honestly i'm surprised like more folks don't do do it this way so i'm sure i'm missing something uh but yeah it's it's still early that's why we're building flexile is because i think maybe there are some things that are unique and we need to productize to make it easier for folks to be able to do uh so they can work like us uh but yeah i just feel like it's for if you're running a software business that grows organically like Gumroad, it's cash flow positive. I th think this is a phenomenal way to work. I think it's great for the company. It saves the company money. I think it's great for the contractors. They get to work in all the, for all this, like at a really high, you know, rate that most people around the world don't normally get access to. A really flexible job, no meetings, no calendar. Really nice for global, you know, global workforce. And they get equity and dividends. And so this is something we're trying to pioneer. Again, like not super novel. It's almost just like what people used to do back in the day, bringing it back you know, and, and embedding it into like the startup software ecosystem. But uh, everyone gets uh, equity and that equity uh, entitles them to dividends. And so, you know, let's say you work for Gumroad $100,000 a year, $200,000 a year for a bunch of years, you build up a position in the company and that position in the company gets you access to a percentage of the cash flow effectively, right? Which is people forget the point of owning equity in a company uh, is for the dividend. Uh, everything else is sort of this like abstract loosey goosey deal, but uh, that's, that's, that's why Warren Buffett is rich. That's why Apple is, is owned by, you know, worth 2 trillion is because they're going to make a trillion dollars. Right. And so uh, in the next 10 years. And so, People forget that. And so it's just kind of, I'm just trying to like remove the layers. So I'm just trying to like apply the null hypothesis to everything possible. Uh, I, you know, I wrote a book on this called The Minimalist Entrepreneur. It's just like, what don't you need? You know, and if you get rid of all the stuff you don't need, you're effectively left with almost nothing. Like you really, like even Gumroad today, I think is going, it's going to look fat compared to like five to 10 years from now when like AI is maybe doing 95% of Gumroad's customer support um, and maybe even writing you know, 95% of the code.
you know, um, we might have a similar team shipping 10 times the product or a 10 times smaller team shipping, uh, you know, shipping uh, same product or, you know, something who knows <laughs> completely out of left field. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to get into next is like, um, you know, obviously AI has been sort of all the rage this year. And um, in particular, it seems like chat GPT with the plugins um, and I guess comparable to some of these like agent, you know, uh, AI agents that we're seeing coming out, like anything that can sort of, uh, you know, it's not just like in a box, but it can actually operate outside of that box and, you know, read the internet and like take actions. It can like respond to emails and whatever. And I don't know if I haven't really used anything personally that's like quite there yet, but I'm not at like the bleeding edge necessarily. But um, yeah. it seems that this stuff's kind of inevitable. Have you been like playing with this stuff? Because it would seem that this is, you know, humans are relatively difficult to manage. You seem to have figured out a way to build an autonomous organization almost in spite of having quite, you know, quite a few humans, not like a lot, but, you know, several people, 20 people, whatever it is. Um, you know, maybe you can do it with three with AI. Have you thought about stuff like this? Oh yeah, I mean we could hundred percent. I mean we could we could do that uh, tomorrow. You know, I mean I could literally just let everyone go and just do everything myself again. Uh, it would be painful. I don't want to do customer support, <laughs> so I don't. Right, and so AI is just like it's just a, 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 a it's just another thing in the same long timeline of software automating work. I think there's really nothing new to it. Uh, you know, uh, Gumroad automated you know, a manual PDF and email. And, you know, before that PDFs automated like paper and mail and, you know, email, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so like, it's just massive amounts of efficiency gains over and over and over again. They all really come down to energy efficiency. You can measure all of these innovations basically by just like how much energy, uh, you know, the alternative used to be, you know, in terms of like delivering a letter versus sending a text, right? It's, it's like a million X more efficient. And that's, why it's valuable that's why we you know these companies are worth lots of money for doing it right that's that's what technology people forget like money money is just a proxy for energy uh right food <laughs> ultimately uh and energy used to you know power tractors and stuff to build houses and do you know agriculture and things um but anyway uh yeah i mean i, I so i i i think that you know like the the truth is people don't want ai uh, to like ai is completely capable of doing all of these things and has been for a long time. It's just the the, the it's just like people are actually not very good capitalists. Uh, people are just too nice to each other. I think uh, like Facebook could be like a hundred people, you know, but they want to do more stuff. And it's the R and D that that AI can't do and won't be able to do for a long time. Like all the bug fixing and technical debt, like all that stuff. I think totally will get sort of you know more and more AI will be able to do a lot of that stuff, plug in the holes. But like in terms of like you're always going to have, I think, a, a lean and mean team of like 10, 20 people that you're going to want, you know? And so like mid-journey, Gumroad, uh, you know, I think like you'll always want that sort of size of company. But just like you have Peter Levels today, who's like a one-person company, you have a bunch of content creators who are, you know, you have a bunch of musicians. Like, the you know, a lot of these companies or uh, industries already work the way Gumroad does, where like Taylor Swift is like a corporation and then she has a bunch of gazillion 1099 contractors and, you know, uh, agreements with other corporations all over the world and like i think she would be a great customer for flexile hopefully over over time uh, especially if she wants to dividends which would be dope uh because to me honestly i mean like the whole web 2 and crypto thing like or web 3 and crypto thing it shows me that there's a lot of value in that it's just illegal <laughs> the way it's done right now so in terms yeah, of crypto yeah, like enabling dividends yeah ai i mean crypto 
crypto, the whole point of crypto is to issue dividends. Uh, because again, like the whole point of a stock is to issue dividends. Like there's no point in owning a stock if you don't get dividends out of it, right? Like it, it's kind of like li living in a house, like owning a house you can't live in. Like the only point is the real estate, like the rental income, uh, right? It's not like you, maybe you can say it's like valuable to like know that, that it exists in your wallet, <laughs> but no, it's like the rental income you can generate from it is generally like why people invest in things. Uh, and uh and so I think, yeah, this is like, it's sort of back to the future. I think the reason it hasn't really been talked about is because we've just lived in a sort of 0% interest rate environment for so long. So people have been able to kind of, you know, participate in the sort of Ponzi scheme of just selling stock to each other at higher prices, but in, in a low growth economy that doesn't really work anymore. And that's the economy we're in now, especially in tech. And so, you know, coupled with a 5% interest rate, I think it's, it's really great for companies like Gumba that are cash flowing. But it basically means that like software companies are treated like every other company on the planet, right? Which means you're just your PL, which I think is good. It basically, you know, humbles <laughs> humbles the software person uh, who is maybe used to just getting getting off for free, uh, being able to do remote work. And the only way that our companies like the way the way that the software becomes valuable is by doing what I I've done, right? It's by showing people like the reason investors value software companies at high multiples is because. They know that you can write code to fire 90% of the people that work for the company at, at, at the point in time in which the market is going to want you to do that. Uh, and so it's sort of basic, like free market incentives are, you know, just playing out now with, with Facebook and Zuck and, you know, Facebook stocks up like 2X, you know, he's gained like $300 billion in market cap in like a year or something uh, just by firing people, right? Uh, just by doing exactly what he promised uh, when he IPO'd the company, uh, which is using software to automate you know, like what is, you know, Facebook was like automating the manual labor of matchmaking your friends, you know, or whatever. So it's always, you know, printing the the Facebook, right? Literally. Uh, uh, yeah. I was talking to someone the other day. I was like, um, it seems that the, uh, obviously they go hand in hand a little bit, but it seems like the macro environment and like, um, you know, people talking about recession and interest rates up, things like this. It's almost like a convenient excuse for a lot of these tech companies some of them may actually just need to cut people because like they're really having a tough time but i feel like others are like quietly using this as an excuse to no i don't know like you know putting any malicious intent or anything like that but it's just like it is a pretty convenient excuse where no one's going to blink an eye at you know massive layoffs and you can do what elon did or to a lesser degree what zuck did or whatever and take these companies and be like all right how many people do we actually need to run this thing because we sort of have like a you know, free pass to let go as many people as we want right now. And they're just sort of like setting the stage for, you know, maybe an evolution of the organization to something more like Gumroad, um, you know, different scale, but similar type concept. Like how do we really need all these people? Can we run this more like a traditional business for a profit, maybe pay dividends and just sort of change the way we think we think about organizations versus the last, you know, 10 or 20 yeah, years or whatever it's been. Unless you unless you have some crazy R and D project, right? Like Zuck has Reality Labs, Google has AI stuff. Like there there are it's totally fine to to overinvest in your people and and pay them super well and and but only if you are making those kinds of bets. And the vast majority of companies and startups are not doing that. And so they really yeah should be basically just focused on on cash flowing. Uh, and Zuck is kind of still, you know, kind of doing both. He was able to kind of generate a lot of cash flow and still focus on reality labs. 
but not as much as maybe 0% interest rates were allowing him to do. And honestly, I don't think of it like an excuse. I think at the end of the day, like CEOs are doing what they've always done, right? Which is like trying to maximize shareholder value. And uh, in a 0% interest rate environment, that looks like hiring engineers. And in a 5% interest rate environment, that looks like firing engineers. But at the end of the day, like the engineer doesn't deserve the job. Uh, it's a completely free market, uh, just like Facebook doesn't deserve the engineer, right? Uh, they have to agree on a price uh, in order to uh, work together. And currently, the market means that Facebook is not willing to pay the price uh, that these engineers are generally uh you know, wanting at this point. Uh, the good news is honestly, they're all fine, right? Like they're, they've all gotten jobs. I haven't really heard of a lot of people who are like really, truly stuck. Uh, they're maybe not working at like a fan company anymore. Um, but I think that's fine. I think that's always been like a very rare thing. And the fact that people like, you know, thought that that was like, that was my dream was to like get a job at Google. The fact that that became like a thing that a lot of people could do is like, it is still bonkers to me, you know? Apple was like, um, you know, like, Apple employees were like demigods <laughs> in 2011, you know, uh, when I moved to the Bay, I was like, holy shit, you work at Apple. That's insane. Like, yeah. Uh, and now it's like anyone can do it. Um, so it's good. I think it's good democracy, you know, kind of uh, accessibility, DEI, all these things. But uh, at the end of the day, like, you know, the goal is to build a lot of really cool products. And unless you're doing that, you're yeah, like, you know, you don't deserve a job. So a little bit of a tangent here, but um, something about what you were just saying just made pop in my mind. Um, you moved, you know, from Singapore where you grew up to out to California, like you said, San Francisco. After I guess you spent maybe a semester at USC and then probably right up to San Francisco, and then moved to Provo and like realized how different things were out there. Like everyone's very religious and Mormon and uh, white, and you know you were going to church every Sunday. And then I think you moved to Portland, which is maybe where you still are now. Can you talk about like these different moves, you know, why you made them, whichever ones are more interesting. You don't have to talk about all of them, obviously, but like, especially sort of like maybe the Provo on the way in or the way out and yeah. uh, why, why Portland. And you mentioned like a lot of people live in big cities, tend to live, you know, more social lives. Um, you sort of enjoy where you're at, I presume. Uh, just curious to hear about like the choice in that, because I think a lot of people are sort of reevaluating in, uh, you know, post-COVID world or whatever, like work, work remote and just questions that were constants before are now variables that people are rethinking in different ways. I know I, I certainly have. So curious to hear your sort of your thinking on it. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I moved to, uh, I was, you know, I, moved, I was in the Bay for a long time for like the typical career reasons, right. It was just a boom town. Just like if I were an actor trying to make it in Hollywood or, or something like that. And then when I didn't feel like I was part of that, I left, went to Utah. The reason I went was because I got into a science fiction fantasy writing class with Brandon Sanderson. And so that was kind of what I was starting to do when Gummerd wasn't really working as I had some downtime. I was doing the customer support tickets. Um, but besides that, it was just kind of growing on its own. And so I was just waiting until it had enough cash flow where I could hire maybe an engineer to like, you know, improve it further. And so I started writing science fiction and fantasy for fun. And, you know, I was terrible at it. Uh, still am, to be honest. Uh, and got into that class that was kind of my excuse to move to Provo and learn about all this new stuff and conservatism and Mormonism and all this all this cool cool stuff that I think has added a lot of like you know knowledge to my my training data to my you know LLM or, or whatnot and uh and then in, yeah I got married I met a girl got married and then she found a job in uh, Portland and so that was like the last place on earth I'd ever considered leaving uh, moving to uh so I was like I'm down that sounds great uh 
And so we moved uh, in 20, she moved in 2019 and I followed her in January of 2020, right before COVID. So COVID obviously happened. So I feel like I've only lived here for like maybe a couple of years, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm sort of, there's, there's really no texting here to be honest. So I just kind of do my thing. I just go to the gym and, you know, go, go to the coffee shop and then come home and work and go for a walk in my suburb neighborhood. And that's kind of, kind of my life. Uh, and we are going to move actually to, to New York in, in September, mostly. Yeah. Because the, the, for more social, social stuff, I, I'm just bored, uh, here. Yeah. Um, I'm curious also how religion, you know, you, you moved, obviously most people in San Francisco are like pretty agnostic. You moved to Provo. Everyone's very religious. You moved out of Provo. Did any of the experience there in terms of religion follow you at all? Or like, what, what's your, you know, relationship been with that? Uh, not to like, suppose that there is one, I guess, but like, you, yeah. you went from a very different environment to another and then out of it, like, has that, did it stick with you or how did that affect yeah, you? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think it increases a lot, you know, like your empathy for those kinds of folks, right? People who have those beliefs or have, who grow up in a certain environment, uh, you know, it helps a, a lot, I think, because like, especially in America, I think, uh, you know, generally building a lot of products and talking to a lot of Americans uh, who grew you know, born and raised here, um, it's helpful to understand like i think a lot of that context that i might not have like growing up in in singapore in like a pretty secular-ish environment uh you know uh where like religion was always kind of like basically seen as like a joke and frankly like san francisco it's completely seen as a joke like uh you're kind of like like i don't think there's like there's anything worse than be, like being like <laughs> openly christian in in the in the bay area to be honest uh and uh and maybe that's not true anymore but it certainly was when i when i lived there um and and so yeah i just felt like that you know you you learn a lot from every culture and you can learn a lot of bad things from every culture because i think every culture has problems but i also think you can also just like learn a lot of good from every culture you know and so that's what i do everywhere i go that's why i move so much is because i that's the value i get out of moving and it's you know once you get your fill you get your fill and then you can move move somewhere else um kids i think will eventually change that pattern i think for us but until then yeah i think i i you know i have this like conspiracy theory that like you, your personality is actually something you breathe in. And so you physically can't actually change your personality unless you are physically breathing in the external, like the environment, like you're actually trading personalities with the city you live in effectively and the people around you and the people you spend time with. Uh, so it's, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a real, like a race realism applied to like a mimetic theory or something, but uh, I doubt it's true, but it's fun to to think about. And what it does is it increases the stakes. It, it basically says to me that like, I can't, I can't actually learn unless I physically move my body. And I, that I think I believe in quite strongly, regardless of like the conspiracy theory part of it. You think that there's like a, uh, you know, the physical is one component, but the digital is also like, I've heard, you know, I've heard you talk a bit about like information diet and things like this. And there's the old saying, you know, you are who you surround yourself with, like you're, you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. I've thought like, you know, that's sort of like an outdated quote and like, you're just as much, you know, I, I don't spend, I'm sort of like you, I don't spend a ton of time in person with a ton of people, like besides my girlfriend, basically. And, uh, I spend a lot of time like with people on podcasts or like in books. And obviously it's like, I move on from one person to the next. I'm not like reading the same person's book over and over again, but like for that week at a time, spending like a lot of hours with whoever the author of a given book is or whoever the subject of biography is or whatever it might be. Um, do you think that that's sort of as much a component or do you truly 
Like that's, it's not enough to sort of change your digital environment. You actually have to sort of move from one place to another to substantially sort of change who you are and how you think and things like that. Of course you have to. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's like a no brainer. Um, it's like, no one would ever dream that like reading a book on Italy would get you anywhere close to actually physically visiting, right? Like no one thinks that traveling uh, is replaceable by VR. Uh, so of course that should apply to like the, every other part of the human experience, right? Uh, so yeah, I think you're totally losing a ton, uh, you know, when you're not physically in an environment. I think the reality is that, and people don't really want to admit this, I think, is that you can only be in one place at a time. <laughs> and so you are giving up something. And there's this, I, frankly, I think it's sort of this religious belief that people like kind of are entitled to like more than they get in life. And this is why they invent things like heaven. And, and you know, this sort of problem is solved by religion in many ways. And I think the way the sort of secular answer is that like, you can learn all of this stuff online. <laughs> it's like, you can, you know, it's like, no, if you really want something, guess what? You'll move there. You know, and actually, I think the problem is that people don't actually want to move there and they just feel bad about it. And I would rather people just not feel bad about it. Uh, you know, like, for example, I'd rather some kid in like Singapore who's obsessed about making it as like a, a you know famous artist, but isn't willing to move to Hollywood, just give up on the dream, frankly. Right. Just like do something else with their life, because the truth is like that does matter. Uh, and I see it all the time. I think. There's a lot, I mean, and I can sort of dissect it from a gazillion specific ways on why I think in person is, is so, is you know, but the fact there's like so many reasons, like there's thousands of reasons I could list literally, you know, like one reason is that like, for example, like people don't swear on Twitter. So for example, you don't actually know how anyone actually talks or sounds like uh, on Twitter, right? Um, and frankly, you won't know on a podcast either. Uh, you won't know in any context outside of like a private unrecorded setting. And so how do you get that right in a, in a, uh, you, you just can't yet, <laughs> you know, like, unless there's maybe some in the future technology that exists that can perfectly like replicate that, that the dinner party or the house party in an end-to-end -end encrypted way, which is certainly possible. Uh, but I don't think it's, you know, I don't think we're anywhere near there. I think it's, it's so, I mean, I, you know, I will fly to SF and meet like 15 people that I will be friends with for the rest of my life, you know, uh, it's like an infinite amount of value uh, if you care about those sorts of things, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think it's it's just a sort of an inconvenient truth, I think, that like your location really matters. I mean, it's the number one advice I give to basically anybody that is to, is to, is to move. Um, like there's like two th pieces of advice I give that always get negative feedback and that's one of them. It's interesting when I take that and sort of uh, contrast it to what you're doing with Gumroad and Flexile as well with like you're giving people from around the world the opportunity to do what was previously somewhat reserved for like people had to kind of move to Silicon Valley. Like you want to work for, uh, you know, you want to be a software engineer and like not everyone, of course, there were opportunities, but the concentration has really been diluted across the world from you know a few specific points silicon valley being like sort of the most concentrated point um so like you no longer have to move to have certain types of opportunities at least career-wise but at the same time to your point if you're in singapore and you want to be in the movies you should probably still move to hollywood and maybe you can make something work but it's going to be like more challenging do you think that the world is moving in a direction where 
location for whatever reason might be you know a little less important over time or you think that's something that's going to persist for a very long time yeah i i don't think it'll ever not not persist because at the end of the day you need you need scarcity right and so uh that's what like capital like why is something worth a lot it's, it's everything is worth something relative to something else right so if you if you double your income what you're saying is you just grew your income twice as fast as like the rest of society right uh that's about it <laughs> uh and so uh yeah i think i think you need to uh just kind of acknowledge there will always be this inequality that exists and like locations will always have like this profound benefit uh as long as there's growth like the only way to to like have that scenario happen is to stop growth and to focus on distribution of existing wealth then we could totally do it but as long as wealth is being generated it will never be generated in a in a in a in a in a, in a, in a sort of distributed way i think Flexile, like the, I, I think it's so centralized uh, that that's why I'm building Flexile, right? Like it, the reason I'm building Flexile is because I am not convinced that these opportunities actually exist at all. Uh, like Gumroad is one of almost none uh, in terms of being able to offer, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year uh, to work, you know, uh, flexible hours, like no matter where you live in the world. I really don't think there's like even hundreds of those jobs yet. Uh, and that's why I'm building Flexile. And also like the equity piece too, right? If you think about where the equity uh, that generates wealth is, is created, it's really still very, very, very centralized. If you look at where the exits you know, have come from and where the, you know, where the companies that, that generated those exits, like where, where they were founded, uh, generally they're still happening often in like San Francisco, uh, Bay Area kind of places. So at least in you know, my, my sphere of software tech. Right. So uh, I appreciate you sort of uh, bringing us back from the rabbit hole a little bit and, and indulging it while we were going into it. But uh, talking about Flexile a little bit more since you uh, since you brought it up, can you sort of tell a little bit about, you know, you obviously like sort of you're, you're pretty content, it sounds, with, with a lot of things and, and the way that your days are and everything like that. And you've got Gumroad going. Um, what about Flexile was like, you know, gave you the push that like, oh, I actually want to try to build a company here. When you think about Flexile, is it from day one, something that you're going to try to operate in the flexile sort of way, like you have Gumroad, or are you open to the idea that like, you know, you might want to pursue growth over profit on this one until you sort of realize that that's not happening. And then you go to profit or how are you thinking about that? And what just gave you like that push to, you know, make this a, a real venture? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll have a similar approach to Gumroad, just probably with a little bit more nuance. I think Gumroad's approach worked quite well, which is when we are growing and investors really want to invest in the company at really high valuations, we'll take the money and spend it on engineers. And when that doesn't happen, we'll lean down and get to profitable and do that. Right. And so I actually think we, we nailed it. Uh, and I, I don't know if I would do anything super differently, except just be more self-aware about it. Ironically, like maybe it wouldn't have worked if I were self-aware about it. Um, but with Flexile, uh, we're thinking about it slightly differently, mostly that we want to make sure we get to product market fit first. So we're saying no to a lot of investors just because I think I want to make sure that the product actually has product market fit. I don't actually, like, I just think it's wasteful, you know, to, to raise money for something that may not need it. Gumroad is also profitable, so we don't really, like, it doesn't really get us anything. And so the goal is to get uh, flex out to sort of cash flow positive and then to spin it out as a separate company 
and to probably do it with this sort of remote, you know, part-time model that we have. I'm definitely open uh, to to doing something else. I think if I were to do something else, like hire full-time, you know, the most likely scenario would be to basically open an office in New York and say, you know, you either get to pursue the the flexile working model or you have to work in New York <laughs> in this very, very, uh, you know, startup-y way. And we can just like have two teams, you know, the remote team and the New York team. And we'll see what happens. Like that might be interesting. Uh, we, you know, I'm, I'm totally down to experiment. I don't think the battle is won. I think there's still a lot of stuff to figure out. I'm not attached to a certain outcome. Uh, I mostly just want to build and I want to solve this problem. I, I like, I feel like we have a really big problem. It's like a really spiky thorn in my side. And my, my approach to building stuff is like, I'm going to solve that thorn in my side and do it really well. Cause I like building high quality products and I'll talk about them publicly and hopefully other people have a similar thorn on their side and we can do it for them. And I really believe this equity dividends thing could be, you know, I really believe, I mean, I wouldn't work on it unless I felt like Flexile has like, you know, a billion dollar company potential, right? Like I, I really, I build, I, I, you know, have high hopes for it, just like I had high hopes for Gumroad, because even though I do believe in, you know, picking things that are sustainable, I also want to work on things that have high impact. You know, that to me is the the, the sweet spot. If I can find things that are, you know, low capex and bootstrappable, like Gumroad and Flexile, but I can also raise money for them if and when I need to, and there's the demand for it. And as long as I think I operate, you know, and one of, I think my superpowers is to transparently just talk about everything I do all the time. So like, I'm not, I, I feel comfortable, you know, being able to do things the way I do things. Cause I feel like I'm giving everyone like a pretty fair warning, you know, there's like disclose, there's plenty of disclosures, right. Uh, happening. And so, and so far, I mean, basically every time I ask an investor, like, Hey, what do you think? This is weird. Like and every time they're like, just do whatever you want. Like I invest in you. It seems to be working, <laughs> you know, like, it's sort of working better than most people would think. So, you know, why not keep seeing where it goes? And so that's kind of what I feel at least a little bit of what my obligation is, is to kind of keep experimenting. And luckily that's sort of my own tendency, or maybe I'm justifying my, you know, experimentation because I like it. I don't know. Uh, but at least it seems to, to kind of work out so far. So. Yeah. One of the things from the book is, um, you know, related to this point is, is uh, with Gumroad, like you guys raised from, you sort of bought, bought back out some of the original investors and then ultimately ended up raising a little bit of capital, not a little bit, I think $5 million, I think from uh, like crowdsourcing through Republic from basically the community of creators that use and love Gumroad. Um, this is where I think it starts to get into like, what if you had given, you know, the first Uber drivers some tokens or what if you gave like the first Airbnb hosts some tokens and then like ultimately they have like something that's quasi equity and they can get dividends when the company goes public or whatever it might be. Um, when it comes to Flexile, like you guys aren't working with creators. Well, I mean, you are, they're just sort of maybe one step further where they're like sort of founders building organizations rather than maybe individual creators. Um, have you thought about how you might raise from them? Cause like, obviously it's easy for you to raise at this point. There's plenty of people who just back you without you probably having to tell them anything about what you plan on working on. But to your point, you don't just want to accept that blindly you want to sort of do it at the right time from the right people in the right amounts have you thought about how that could apply with flexile to maybe raise from customers or involve crypto in some way or anything like that yeah i mean i definitely don't uh think it will involve crypto <laughs> uh 
uh, I just don't think it's necessary. I think the cool thing is that all of this stuff exists. It just hasn't been necessary because of the 0% interest rate environment. And Flexile will will build all this stuff into it. Um, it'll do dividends. It'll do uh, tax, you know, 1099 gives. Uh, it's a very, you know, well-established legal financial procedure to issue dividends. And so we'll just do it. And we'll do it to 7,000 people. And if there's demand for Flexile in a similar way where people know what they're getting, which is access to cash flow in the future, then maybe it's worth it. Uh, and we'll raise $5 million. Um, I think we'll do it similarly to Gumroad where I'll probably go to a few investors I know myself and get them to agree to put in like 100K or so each at some valuation uh, that I think is reasonable. In this case, probably about 15 to 25 million. And then, you know, using that price, I would sort of let anyone invest you know, in the same terms. Um, and I just, yeah, I don't, I, that's kind of how I would do it. And, and I would just, that would be the last round the company would ever raise. Like, why would you need to raise more? You know, it's a software product, right? Like what, what else is the money for? All you're doing, the reason you're raising money is because these people want a position in the company and you're willing to give it to them and you can hire some engineers and speed up the product development a little bit. And that's it. <laughs> Once you exhaust that capital, you're profitable and you're just doing, you know, just like Gumroad, right? And so, I, I think you you may see more and more of these, uh, but yeah, we have to prove out the model and and show people and 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 we'll see what the you know what what is the investor demand for a company like Gumroad issuing six million dollars of dividends a year, right? What does that value the company add? Do any investors want that? Is that just too weird? Is that annoying? Uh, you know, I think these are things we'll we'll learn in the next quarter or two. Cool. Well, uh, I know we're coming up on time, but uh, I really appreciate it and, and enjoyed the conversation. I'm excited to listen to it back, actually. But um, if people are listening and you know you think that any of this type of stuff that we're talking about is is interesting, there's a much more sort of uh, orderly and, and practical walkthrough uh, in, in the book, uh, The Minimalist Entrepreneur, as well as a few blog posts that might sort of you can that's like an in-between. If you don't want to dive right into the book, read the blog posts on sales website. And uh, if you're thinking about creating something, you know, Flexile might be an interesting way to do it. So uh, go check that out. But thank you again, uh, Sahil, for joining me today and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 